the fact that Russia is perfectly capable of just calling the shots in relation to these structures of work and in relation to how we as a society address these issues. I think this should be reflected on by many states in terms of what this means about how we're shaping society. This is the Article 36 podcast where we raise a critical voice on weapons. Hi, and welcome to this episode focusing on autonomous weapons. I'm your host, Ulda Sarabi, and I'm joined by my colleague Richard Moyes, who will bring us up to date on the developments from the most recent Convention on Conventional Weapons Group of Governmental Expert meeting held at the United Nations in Geneva from the 15th to the 19th of May this year. Tell us the latest about the second CCW Group Governmental Expert Meeting on Autonomous Weapon System. Yeah, thanks, Alter. So that was last week as we're recording it, as we're recording it now. And this was the, the second of two weeks of GGE meeting that were, were allocated to, to take place in, in 2023, being chaired by Ambassador Flavio D'Amico of, of Brazil. I mean, where the, the meeting back in March was was mainly the sort of substantive discussion. And this is kind of normal pattern with CCW meetings that you have it in two stages. The first bit is the meeting where there's a bit of discussion of the content, and then you spend just as much time kind of deciding what it was you said in the in the first meeting. So this, this meeting was really a week of states trying to agree a report of what they had done in the previous week of, of meeting. And that that's a, a normal process of these discussions. I guess really the report is kind of divided into two parts. One of it is purely a sort of, you know, factual administrative body of content about, you know, who met and when they met and, you know, for how long for this kind of thing. And then there's an effort to capture some substantive conclusions. And it was that really that that was the challenge for discussion. What what if anything could be, you know, could could be agreed upon by the group in terms of substantive characterizations of the issue as a whole, you know, how how the issue of autonomy and weapon systems should be approached or or understood. So on the last day of the meeting, Russia kicked out civil society from the room. What does this say about the form and its capabilities? And what are the consequences of the CCW being the main host of these meetings where there is such permissibility of Russia's style of diplomacy on this pressing issue? Yeah, thanks, Alders. I mean, the, it's Traditionally, one of the good things about the CCW is that it allows conversations across different stakeholder groups, civil society and international organizations and other observers interacting with and engaging with states that are high contracting parties to the to the legal instrument. I think it's always been a little bit of a, of a line of contestation. Certainly, it's a line of contestation that's available when states feel that they need a bit of extra contestation. You know, I'm thinking going back 20 years or so, there's been times when there's been pressure to kick NGOs out of the room, but generally it's it's one of the positive aspects of the forum. It was very predictable that Russia requested civil society and others, international organizations and observers to to not be present in the meeting at the end of last week when the actual final text was was agreed, appreciative that significant number of states and a diverse number range of states spoke in opposition to that and spoke in favor of civil society and others. Staying in the discussions, recognize that it puts the chair in a difficult position, but still it's unfortunate. And I don't think we would want this to set a hard precedent that 
that civil society and observers, international organizations, cannot be allowed in informal in informal meetings of the group or when they're meeting in an informal mode. I mean, ultimately, it's not a positive thing for for society's response to these issues. It just does enable horse trading amongst states below their actual individual positions. It allows states that might re- represent themselves one way in the public discussions to to suddenly fall far short of that once the you know once the cameras are no longer no longer rolling. Recognize that diplomacy and reaching agreements can require some privacy. And I think we within civil society have always been, you know, I think res- respectful of that as part of our approach to practice. But this is an issue that affects society as a, as a whole and affects the relationships of, you know, lots of people with technology in the future, potentially all of us with technology in the future. And it's bad form that a, that a process of meetings that comes to such poor quality outputs and keeps an issue hostage over a long period of time also isn't capable of undertaking its work in a in a transparent in a transparent manner so yeah it's 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 poor and uh, yeah we need to again it's a, it's another reason for moving on from this structure of work i mean what's what's slightly irritating me in the back of my mind here as well is that it's it's poor that other states allow this to be the case so we know that it's not just russia that has a negative orientation to to moving forward on this issue right but but still in the sort of multilateral structure that we're in right now the fact that Russia is perfectly capable of just calling the shots in relation to these structures of work and in relation to how we as a society address these issues. I think this is should be reflected on by many states in terms of what this means about how we're shaping society. We saw a lot of momentum ahead of this CCW meeting from the Latin American and Caribbean communique, the Luxembourg meeting, and then the constructive conversation at the CCW in March. What were you expecting going into the meeting? Yeah, well, I think thinking about it in a way, this was a meeting we just wanted to get past in terms (laughs) of realistic expectations. Maybe if we think about Costa Rica, the Latin American Caribbean Communique, Luxembourg, these other discussions. It was a bit like taking a run up to to jump over this. And I think those those things at the beginning of the year gave us enough positive energy and enough sense of momentum to that we can get past this meeting last week and not feel like it's we've hit some kind of some kind of barrier. So uh, I think the both the process of the meeting and its outcome were entirely predictable. I don't think we recorded anything or wrote anything directly predicting the outcome. So the world has no way of testing our predictive abilities on this. But it was always going to be a a sort of slow process of, you know, slightly turgidly working through the paragraphs of what might be agreed, slowly stripping away meaning and positive content from the original report, which, you know, the chair's report was, I think, fairly well aimed in terms of the center of the group as a whole. But of course, in the end, these processes are pretty corrosive in the way that they work, and they end up with a very poor text, empty of valuable meaning that some states will still cling to and and try to sell as being indicative of progress or or sort of value. But I think for the most of us, we can we can skip past it and and move on to building more effective partnerships that can really tackle this issue. Mm-hmm. 
In Article 36 summary of the meeting, you say that the main substantive conclusion of the group was that weapon systems based on emerging technologies in the area of lethal autonomous weapon systems must not be used if they are incapable of being used in compliance with international humanitarian law, and that this sort of circular formulation makes a mockery of claims by states like the UK, Germany, and France, that the CCW is the place to address this issue. Can you elaborate on this? Yeah, I mean, I'm picking that out as the main substantive point, but I think it's a, it's certainly a centerpiece of the, of the text. And of course, it's just a, a circular legal tautology in a way to say that you, know, you must not use systems that are incapable of being used with the law. We, we don't need eight years of, of discussion to come to that conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Any, anybody who has the most basic understanding of, of how the law is supposed to work in society could come to that conclusion. And this is kind of a mode that the CCW adopts of forcing states and others to work hard just to feel relieved that they've agreed something that maybe doesn't fall below what the law already already requires, right? And it's it's not even clear in places whether whether that threshold is is reached. So yeah, I think this is just an example of of a sort of circularity part. It's a comfort zone that exists in this sort of forum and that this sort of forum allows for saying things that are self-evident and not pressing on with the generation of meaning, which is what we need in order to start to shape a response to, to technologies in this area in a in a more effective way. I mean, if we look at some of the other elements of content below that, the, the text does at least note some factors that, that we would agree are significant in terms of exerting control, including your ability to control the types of target that a system might engage or to limit the duration, geographical scope and sort of scale of, of a system's functioning. But again, it only does this in a way that is completely sort of voluntary kind of, it, it, it doesn't step towards these straightforwardly as, as being rules that are actually fundamental to controlling technologies in this, in this space. And there's always a danger, again, with these structures of work that what happens here is states agree language in these terms and then then they refuse to go beyond the agreed language. So it sort of embeds very weak formulations of content that you might um, find valuable in a way that that then is a is a barrier and an impediment to to more effective engagement with those same components of of content. So, I mean, there's nothing really here. I think of, of value in terms of formulating this content in this way. The fact that it is adopted by the group as a whole. Yeah, I mean, people will try to. I'm sure there'll be some states and some people who will try to sell this to us as indicative of of positive progress. I think the main thing for us is not to get too not too fixated on this content and to move on to meetings that can to really engage with sort of energy and aspiration with the content in this area. I mean, talking about the energy in meetings earlier this year in the first quarter, at least we had this very positive zeitgeist going on, on on the issue. What would you say that were some of the contents that were missing in the outcome of the CCW that was a better reflection of the positive positions that states have already made progress in? Yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, I would say we never had any expectations that this report would, you know, would adequately reflect either the discussion or, you know, what's needed as a response to the issue. So this is not a criticism 
in process terms that the report doesn't, you know, doesn't get that. It's never going to. And that's part of the problem with the CCW. But that said, it, it doesn't reflect the number of states who support a legal instrument or the number of states who reflect the need to negotiate an instrument of some kind. Maybe that will be reflected in the mandate the group adopts for their work next year, but it won't it won't be adequately reflected there either. So there is a there is a sort of sense of agreement on a on purpose amongst I think a significant number of states that isn't reflected here. In terms of some of the specific rules, well, prohibition on targeting people isn't reflected here. And that's really an area where we see key ethical, moral issues as well as legal issues. But key ethical, moral issues, they really come to the fore when it when it comes to systems that are that are engaged in targeting people directly. Issues of bias in algorithms, bias in data sets, they are really most pressing when it comes to systems where people are being processed and being reduced to data points and being evaluated as whether force should be applied to them along various axes. That's that's an issue of concern with respect to anti-personnel systems in particular. And that's not reflected in in this text at all at, at present. We've already noted that you know some of the key prohibition content needs to be formulated differently. And there's no perhaps no point in getting into the details of how it could be formulated differently you know, in this in this conversation. But clarity of, of prohibitions, clarity of positive obligations about how you exert control over systems in in practice is something that needs to be needs to be built up. But I think it's also something where there's significantly more agreement that is recognized in the text here. So when we start to work together in different forums, in different spaces on this content, I think we'll find that that partnership amongst states can be built, you know, in the along the, those key lines. The years of discussion at the Geneva meetings in the CCW has continued to keep the movement of the issue slow, uh, but there's been a buildup of a number of states who want to see a legal framework be developed on this issue. What needs to be done by states going ahead? Yeah, I think you know we need to turn to other other places and we need to build partnerships you know across our community. It was really good having the regional meeting in Latin America and the Caribbean hosted by Costa Rica earlier this year. It'd be good to have more such meetings, if not necessarily whole regional meetings, but at different levels, bringing states together in in different regional blocks and different groupings to to put together the sort of building blocks of an international partnership. I think there's plans for that this year. More expert group discussion. I think continuing to refine people's understandings of how rules on this issue could be approached and and developed. Of course, wider stakeholder communities too. It's always good. We had a statement from a multi-faith community at the beginning of the CCW this week, bringing that sort of sense of different stakeholder perspectives into the conversation at different opportunities. Important. I think for us, looking towards the UN General Assembly later in the year is going to be very important. Of course, that's that's a fully inclusive forum where all states are represented and not all states are parties to the CCW. So taking this to a forum that has you know, more inclusive representation, building on the joint statement that took place there last year, bringing in states who who have a stake in this issue but are not part of the conversation yet, potentially reflecting different orientations to the issue to some extent too, because it isn't just a conflict issue or an IHL issue. This is a this has been recognised in the Human Rights Council, and you know the GA is a is a framework where you know it would be under a sort of peace and security rubric probably but but still a sense of a wider societal concern can be can be brought to bear so i think 
I think that framework for the conversation, not necessarily as a you know straightforward alternative to the CCW. I don't think it has to be an either or choice. I think this is something where states should be capable of working in you know in both places at the same at the same time, and I think work on this issue mobilized, mandated by the UN General Assembly would would only help to motivate conversation more effectively in the CCW if, if nothing else. So I think that's where we need to be to be looking next and certainly where we will be turning our attention. Now that we're on the other side of the second CCW meeting this year, do you think that perhaps the international community, in particular positive states, are waking up to the urgent need for a political decision to genuinely commit to stepping up to a leadership position on the issue? Yeah, I think there is potential for leadership and within the the international community. I think these these processes are always challenging to a certain extent. And I think it's partly because there's a recognition that these processes also need to be built on partnership and built on sufficient diversity of partnerships. You want a group of states that has a bit of regional, cross-regional balance to it and that can retain the sort of working confidence and relationships with, you know, partners outside the group. So I think there's a there's a process of of building that confidence and that, that sort of positive sense of trajectory within a within a group to to step forward to take leadership on these issues. I think actually there's a lot of states that that do want to achieve an effective outcome on this issue. I think they're held back a little bit by by their anxieties. They're held back a little bit by their anxieties and their insecurities. They're they're worried about what the final outcome of a process would be, what actual rules would it would it conclude? And tied up tied up with that link to that, they're worried about whether whether a process that happens through a different forum would would be sufficiently controllable or would sufficiently reflect their interests to 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 lead to a set of rules that they would actually be able to to join. So I think there's a sort of confidence building dynamic there where of course, you know, the the purpose of engaging in a inclusive forum and, you know, in a more democratic structure of work is not to sort of move from the tyranny of one minority in the CCW to a tyranny of, you know, a different minority or maybe a tyranny of a majority in, in another forum. There needs to be a process of work established within these rules and these structures that allows for a understanding, mutually respectful partnership to guide a conversation to a to a conclusion. And I think for quite a lot of states, you know, particularly I'm thinking of some of the more militarized states in NATO and Europe, but other states in other parts of the world as well, I think there is potential for them to engage in a process of work through a different forum, as long as they can build the partnerships and relationships internationally that that can that can give them confidence that this will this will go forward together in a in a mode that is both responding adequately to the the moral, ethical, legal, societal challenges. That's of course the position that we in civil society have to keep representing first and foremost. We have to keep pushing the pressure of that obligation on the discussions. But states themselves need to build partnerships, build cross-regional partnerships and find ways to work with confidence that a mutually respectful mode of diplomacy can result in positive societal outcomes. You just mentioned what civil society should continue to do to continue to push for these partnerships. But what does Article 36 suggest that civil society do on a more, I guess, practical level as well? Yeah, well, there's an extent to which we just always have to 
throw whatever we can find at our own governments, right? We've got to keep our own governments, you know, engaged on this issue, recognizing that the societal concern on this issue, you know, that people in, you know, not just in, you know, specialist NGOs, but people in the wider society, technological communities, you know, other social stakeholder groups care about these issues, right? And care about, you know, how society develops in relation to the role of technology, computers, autonomy, and weapon systems. We need to keep mobilizing that wider social engagement, keep governments under pressure to engage in these conversations and to achieve outcomes. And yeah, we need to continue to find ways to build partnerships amongst ourselves in civil society within the campaign Stop Killer Robots as an international partnership. We need to continue to grow and mobilize our membership, but also we need to build and maintain partnerships with states and other other actors, international organizations and the like, because it's it's ultimately partnerships that are going to be the key to success on this issue. And that's all from us here at Article 36. Please visit our website at article36.org, where you will find our updates and publications focusing on different weapon issues. Also, if you're on social media, please follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter using our handle at Article 36. We look forward to connecting with you there. Bye for now. Bye.